We've all seen the incredible horse and rider combinations as the backbone of our sport. But what about everything else that makes the equestrian world tick? From the everyday grind to the world-class professional, join the Equestrian Podcast as we talk about every equestrian discipline in a way that hasn't been done before. Now here's your host, rider, trainer, and influencer behind my equestrian style, Bethany Lee. Hey, and welcome back to the Equestrian Podcast. I'm your host, Bethany Lee, and this is episode 124. Our guest today is the inventor of a breakthrough system that is revolutionizing the way that we care for our horses' hooves. This is called Formahoof. Formahoof uses the latest technological advances in materials and design to allow vets, farriers, and horse owners to enhance the performance and long-term soundness of their horses in their care. It's highly effective, easy to apply, and a super cost-effective way for every hoof care challenge. Our guest is a world-class farrier with decades of experience in equine podiatry and hoof care and has worked and consulted in some of the most prestigious equine organizations and centers around the world. So without further ado, I would love to welcome our guest today, Rob Stevenson. Thank you so much for taking the time. I am so excited to jump into this topic. would love to first hear about how you started in the equestrian world and what that looked like for you. All right. Well, I'll give you the brief version. I was lucky enough to be born into a, a horsey family, generations of the Stevensons and McDonald's, all had horses over the years, from varying from racehorses right through to Western sport horses and stuff. So my parents owned and managed cattle properties in central Queensland. So I grew up around horses and they're a big part of, you know, work culture and so one of the things we learned pretty early was how to look after animals from an animal husbandry point of view. So knowing that you had to use your horses for mastering purposes and you'd be on them for a long time, you know, six or seven hours a day. One of the key things that you learned early was good hoof care. And depending on what sort of country that you're living in and as how you went about looking after those horses. So big inspiration was my father. He started me off as a young age, you know, really taking notice of feed things. I was lucky enough that my mother is actually a saddler as well. So we had an overall whole horse sort of view. Yeah. And and that gave me, you know, the confidence to sort of look at things, new things, ask questions. And when you, you know, spent just hours on horses and you get to try out a few things when you're younger and, and make mistakes, you know, in those sort of environments, I was really lucky, you know, travelled a lot since. And as I've got older, I realised how lucky I was, really, you know, to have a good good background at the start. I then left, I went to boarding school. And then when I finished boarding school, I started working on cattle stations of my own and worked for big cattle companies, one called Hyattsbury Pastoral Group in Australia. And they had cattle stations from Queensland up to the Northern Territory. And similar roles, you know, we were riding a lot, looking after horses in what we call station plants here, where you've allocated six horses for your season and you had to look after those animals for the whole year, including shoeing and all the rest of it. So that's where we really got the rubber met the road with, you know, actually doing farrying and, and working on horses. Some of the places we used to work on in the Turchi, it's a place called Moolaloo, and they used to call it the moon because it was just covered in rocks. And if you ever lost a shoe while you're out mustering, you had to get off your horse and you had to lead it for the rest of the day. <laughs> and that was not much fun. So we so shoeing was, was the real key part in, in managing those horses and their soundness, just from a work point of view. I realised that I enjoyed shoeing 
And I then went on a rural exchange program to to the US and spent uh, nine months, my best part of nine months in Montana. And then I then I went down to Kentucky and attended the Kentucky Horseshoeing School with Mitch Taylor. And that really opened my eyes to what was, you know, what was real podiatry and I learned my blacksmithing and, and gave me a really good start from a theory and an anatomy point of view. Yeah, and from there I, I went back to Australia and worked with several farriers around Queensland, Key Swan, and then I started um, my own business and then through the Australian training program you, you do uh, what's called a recognition of prior learning. So you have all your prior learning and then you've got to do full-time for eight years as a farrier and then work with vets and have references and as part of that process I was working with Keith Swan who was a, a senior farrier here in Australia and he used to take us up to the equine hospital in Oakey and we treat and I got to treat laminitis cases and, and got to start to understand that aspect of the industry. Uh, previously I'd been shooing a lot of gallopers you know and speed horses but this gave me another look at what was you know what other areas I was then lucky enough to be offered a job in Dubai, working for Sheikh Mohammed, and I went over there as part of my role was looking after broodmares and foals, and he had a stud farm in Oman, actually, just across the border, and he would fly in his broodmares and his stallions to the farm for six months of the year, and then he'd fly them back to Ireland so they could have the, the summer out of the heat. So they would be served in the UAE, they would go back for the summer and come back and then foal again in the UAE. So these horses had serious air miles. And wow. it was the idea wow. was, was to be able to have horses with UAE in their passport, you know, bred. And, and we did. We had Group 1 champions bred in Dubai, which was really exciting. Things moved on. But then I was placed into the Dubai Equine Hospital as part of... Uh, you know, because you're working in an industry, you're basically working for a salary, so your job is to go and, you know, look after these horses. So I was working in the equine hospital and I did that for 10 years. And while I was there, as part of that process, you know, we faced just about everything you could imagine when it comes to foot challenges. But the only thing you don't get in Dubai is grass founder because there isn't a lot of grass. But there is many other injuries, causes of laminitis, um, support limb laminitis, toxic overload, um, yeah, all manner of challenges to feet. And Dubai is a very different place because basically Sheikh Mohammed owns the whole thing. And one of the things you learned very early in the piece was that not to tell Sheikh Mohammed it was going to cost him too much to fix his horse because he would say very quickly, don't tell me how much money I have, I own the whole hospital. And the fact that you are just making excuses means you can go. So everyone learned that very quickly. <laughs> that, that was not a mindset he tolerated and he wanted, you know, he really encouraged people to think outside the box. And so as part of my role, I was going to trade shows. I'd been working on a couple of, I then met my business partners who had a really big 3D printing company. And we went through what was a development role, an accelerated development role around creating what were feet because in my role, I was basically just patching up feet. It wasn't really a shoeing role. It was just about trying to get these horses' feet to grow back. So you could have dozens of horses with laminitis and multiple capsule avulsions. So I was bandaging a lot of feet. We were changing a lot of bandages regularly. And in Dubai, you have Ramadan in the, in the Islamic culture, 40 days of um, prayer and, and fasting. And part of that time is that, that animals are not to be put down. So if you've got dozens and dozens of horses with bandage changes, 
you have to be changing these horses' bandages regularly and it's quite labour-intensive, as you can imagine, mm-hmm. especially when a lot of your helpers aren't eating and drinking all day. It can be, it can be a horrible day, I can tell you that much. So yeah. we were looking to create something that could go on their feet that they could move around in, even at that acute stage. You could keep medicine on the bottom of their feet where the abscesses were going to break out, but you could get them up and moving. And that was the, one of the first things we learned from rehabbing these cases was movement was key. And without having something on their feet that was functional, you know, you just couldn't achieve that. So long story short, we did a lot of 3D scanning of feet and good feet and and balancing and designing from an engineering point of view, what was that, a very functional hoof capsule? And then we created that into our mould and that's what we were then putting onto the feet. So what was happening, form was following function so you would see the feet that were growing out were of that good balanced shape because the mold itself was holding them together allowing to grow some soul depth keep medication in place and have these horses you know regenerate get up and move because horses are not designed to lay down a lot and if they spend a long time down you know they get rubs on their hips mm-hmm. they start to get colic you know you have all these complications so Getting these horses up and moving was was a key. And as soon as we went away from thinking about shoes and then thinking about what was a foot and what was a functional foot, the, these horses just turned around. I mean, it was just a complete night and day change to our rehab rates. And to be honest, the management hours that went into them was a, was completely changed as well. So, yeah, it was, it was a long, long journey, but extremely lucky that, you know, his Highness loves his horses as much as he does. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we we pushed through and created something that, you know, has been, has given us the chance to give other people the ability to manage horses around the world. So, yeah, it's been, a, it's been a really good journey. Wow. And then what did you find? Were you, was there like a big experimentation process of what to make these molds out of? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> That's another, another massive story. But, yes, there is a huge engineering uh, when you look at a horse's foot you don't realize how much functional movement and engineering there is in it and we were looking at different products for different types of stuff but what we were trying to do is find something that number one their foot could grow in and b because we used so much of it did no harm so there was no osmotic issues so we went to the dairy industry because you can't have any osmosis between the chemicals into the cows because they do they do a lot of feet patching in cows and if you have a, a strong chemical reaction, it goes into the cows and then shows up in the milk. Yeah. So big. So we went. We went that way. We said we want zero osmotic exchange between the, um, the material and the animal, and we don't need that much adhesion. So we could look at using different products. So polyurethane became the the best essentially because it's it doesn't damage the foot, and we can use a lot of it. And it doesn't, you know, have those hangover effects of other really strong glues where you lose a lot of mass out of your feet because they are really good glues and they basically you lose a layer of foot each time you use them. Mm, right. So, yeah, and then we structurally, horses are heavy and one thing you learn from a lameness game, as soon as you get one sound, everyone wants to send it as fast as it possibly can, as quick mm-hmm. as it can. Mm-hmm. So. They would leave my care at the hospital and then they'd go back out into training and then we'd have to adapt a new style. And that's where we started to really refine what we have now is our, our meshing system and our 3D printed sock system. This gave us like a Rio and concrete style so you had a much stronger application that 
because the mesh runs through the entire structure, it's completely connected to itself, so you can't have half of it fly off. Or, you know, it, it, it all maintains itself and then wow. functions like off capsule. Yeah, and that's that being the key. Anything that's too rigid contracts the feet and stops them moving, but if you've got the right material and the right substrate in your mesh and you've got concavity in your mould shapes, the foot can sink down into them and then retract back without splitting them and cracking them in half. And so you've still got to have that movement, but you can't have it just crack and fall apart. So it was some hell of a journey. You know? yeah. It will certainly uh, humble you when you think you're going well. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you talk about this story and obviously you summarized a, a very big story and in and, and lots of different pieces and moving parts to it. How long yep. did this process take from when you were in Dubai to when you had a product that you could potentially have for anyone? Look, the original work was, was probably done 10 years ago, okay. but before, when, I, when we really started to get serious and as when my business partners came on board and they, they had a business that was designed around aerospace, 3D printing, military stuff. So they had access to really good technology. So you wow. could scan things down to a millionth of a micron. So you get exact copies of it. So when you were designing things, you could really get the dimensions of a foot and then you could replicate that, what were good ones, what were bad ones, and look at actual depth and shape. Whereas most shoeing is a two-dimensional process. You either have a the shoe is wider or it's longer, whereas the form of is three-dimensional and it shares its weight around the entire foot. So that process took us about three years to wow. really fire and get going. So, yeah, it'll be nearly four years. But, yeah, so, we, so launching the business... Seriously, you know, kicking off, going to do the whole startup thing. You know, we've been full-time now for two years. Amazing. Yeah. So when you are looking at a horse to see if they would be a good candidate for something like this, I mean, what, what yep. seems to be like a normal horse that would need this? You know what? The horses pick themselves a lot of the time. Yeah. <laughs> in fact, they're, they're the ones that are hobbling around the paddock. Uh-huh. Um, the horses that have thin soles, very flat thin soles and underrun heels, really like the ability to have their foot lifted off the ground. And that's what the form off does. Yeah. It basically forms it around the foot, but in that form there's actual concavity in the base of it, so it is an airspace. And that airspace is what makes them sound. And that gives it the room for the foot to expand and contract and move and, and, and function like a hoof capsule. So anything that has a thin sole or compromised foot mass, you know, they just run out of foot, they just don't like to extend, they don't want to hit their heels because they're too sore. So basically it's, it's a bit like dipping your finger in a wet wax mm-hmm. and it wraps around the foot completely and then the mole gives it a shape so what you generally see is the foot's growing inside it and then the mold's doing the material's doing the wearing process. Got and it. as that okay. wears, it then slowly takes the shape of the mold and it, as it fills out and it's not being worn out or have excessive weight on any part of it, it sort of really fills out as in a foot shape. So, so the heels that are underrun have a chance to be unloaded and become straight again. Sole that's really flat has a chance to have some dome in it because it's not weight bearing, 
and then your wall and all the rest of it is all has a bit of a chance to not be weight bearing. So it loses a lot of that flaring you see in horses because flaring's a weight based thing, you know, loading. Mm-hmm. So it controls a lot of that growth and stops that flaring. And most importantly, the sole process is that w- most of the time horses' feet get wet and dry and wet and dry through a going through the day so as they get wet they swell up and they dry out they crack they shrink down so you get little stretch cracks up into the soil and then the bacteria that's in the soil it eats all the keratin in the world and it's the reason we don't have when the world's not covered in hair and toenails it's very (laughs) efficient so it gets up in those little cracks and then starts to eat away and then when you go to pick up the horse's foot and you touch it with your knife or a brush or a pick it just all falls out so by putting a formhoff on there and putting an antibacterial layer into that formhoff, it means that it's growing under strength, but it has an antibacterial layer that stops the bacteria breaking down the salt. And because it stays moist and the frog regulates that moisture, it doesn't get ex- expanded and then contracted. So you just don't get the structural cracks into the foot. And that's what allows the, that the foot that they're growing to stay in place and not just be you know, dust as you right. pick it up and pull out. Yeah. Okay. Cause I was going to ask you when you were talking about that, I, I was worried cause I'm like, you know what, in Florida, like the moisture, the thrush, yep. it's like such a big yep. deal here, but yeah, that's so yeah. interesting. Yeah. It, well, it's just good animal husbandry at the end of the day. It means you've just got that foot in a very hygienic space that can't be, it can't get any more urine or feces um in it and can't get jammed inside it so it's just creating a very clean environment for which the soul to fall, to fill out in unlike so when you clean up a foot normally the next thing you do is you let it stand down the ground and most most of the time stands back in the dirt so all that cleaning that you've done is being undone keeps it in place and stops just gives the foot a chance really just to grow some depth because most horses that's what causes their lameness is they've just run out of foot mass, whether it be heel mass or sole mass or, you know, they just don't have enough mass in the foot. And it's a remarkable organ in the foot, how it can regenerate itself given half a chance. It really is. Hold that thought because I wanted to talk to you a little bit about our sponsor today, Lori Bergley of the Maryland Equestrian. Lori Bergley is the best-selling author of three equestrian romance novels, Where the Bluegrass Grows, kicking on and taking off. The main characters of each book rotate, as do the locations. Lori takes us through gorgeous Lexington, Kentucky, Maryland's classic horse country, and beautiful The Plains, Virginia. All of Lori's books contain a host of both human and horse characters, plenty of equestrian action, and some steamy love scenes. They can be found for sale on Amazon, and signed copies can be purchased directly from her website, which is themarylandequestrian.com. When not writing horse books, Lori can be found riding her thoroughbred and maintaining her Instagram account, Maryland Equestrian. So make sure you go give her a follow and check out her website. Again, that's themarylandequestrian.com. Make sure you go read these books. I read them in this last year and they are awesome. Thank you so much, Lori Bergley. All right, let's head back to the episode. You must see tons of laminitis horses. Yes. yes Can you so tell me a little bit about that process of like the you know initial diagnosis and then how you go about yeah. caring for that horse? 
Yeah, a lot of the times we're seeing the horses at some of the you know now not not when I'm in when I was at the Econ Hospital, you can preempt a lot of this stuff and you'd mm-hmm. put applications in place and you, there's there's other drugs that are available like laminol and those sort of things that you can preempt a lot of it. But now nowadays most of our inquiries come in and the horses are either chronic laminitic, you know they've had a problem for a long time. They're a family friend, the horse, you know, and they've so they don't want to put them down. Mm-hmm. So you'll see a lot of distortion in their feet because laminitic horses are basically they've lost that air pocket underneath the tip of their bone, and so they're basically pressing down bone on ground, and they'll do just about anything to not have that weight. So that's why you see laminitic horses rock back a lot and they roll their heels under and the toe starts to dish out and you you get a very odd-looking foot. A lot of them also grow extensive amounts of heel and I think that's that's an innate way of them trying to get the bone off the ground. They're just trying to grow themselves out of trouble. But because they're rocking back a lot, you see that heel rolling under and it's a constant it's a constant issue that farriers and healthcare professionals struggle with is the horse is growing these long heels and essentially exaggerating that rotation somewhat. Right. So what we look to do is, is when you put the form off on, understanding that you're going to have some necrotic tissue right there at the tip of P3 and at the sole because that's where the bruising's been, we like to put a, like a medicated bandage in place so if the abscess is going to bust it busts into a medicated pulses and then it can drain into there and then the medication that's on there will just will then go on and treat the abscess so once you've got that in place you then put your form off mold over the top and then that gives that functional space so horses almost immediately become more comfortable because they have that air space underneath the bone you've addressed the wound area given that it's going to bust out because abscessing generally in my mind is not as a sign of healing, you know, because these feet are now getting past some of that necrotic tissue that's been built up in there for ages sure. and they can move a bit more and that starts to bust it and get it. And quite often they bust out at their sole or they bust out at the top just depending on on where the abscess is, is positioned. Uh, and each laminitis case is different. But, yeah, that's, that's generally what we see. And then over a period of time, that foot will start to grow. And this, and what's been the holy grail in laminitis recovery is trying to get good quality sole growth at the tip of P3 because generally you can't unload it enough where they're sound enough to then want to walk. But what we're seeing now is once they've gone through that abscessing process, they really do start to lay down some quality sole in that area. And because it's not weight-bearing and they're not having to use it and it's not making them sore, they can move a lot more freely and that growth pattern really kicks off. So... You get an immediate comfort change, but long term you get a much better soul quality, and that's that is the holy grail. I mean, I uh, it's a bit I'll say like hoof walls for show, souls for work. You know, what I'm saying they need that soul to live. Hoof wall, you can remove a whole lot of it, and they're still alright. But you take a little piece of soul out of a horse, changes the whole dynamic. So creating false soul in there, creating a prosthetic soul essentially, and then a medicated space seems to be where we've had our most um, success and it's being repeatable that people can handle that as an application without having to be like an unbelievable blacksmith or you know an amazing vet normal people with with good podiatry skills can get them on and and sort of rehab these horses and the other area which is really key for horses to recover is 
it requires a lot less owner compliance. So you're not relying on the owner to mm-hmm. be changing bandages regularly. You're not relying on them changing medication. You're not trying to get them to take boots off every day and clean them because one of the other things I learned from, from working in Aquan Hospital, we had a very, very good intern program is when the interns are changing bandages and on laminized horses and you've got medicine plates and all the rest of it, quite often those horses get very protective of their feet and what happens is you just get it up, you get the medicine plate off, you have a look at it and then the horse just slams that foot down <laughs> as quick as it can yep. straight in again. So you're like, oh, no, so you pick it up and clean it again. So <laughs> I made it a rule without that inspection was equal infection. If they'd like to see... They could just x-ray through and see what was happening. And because you, we had medication in there already and there was no exchange of dirt and outside bacteria, once you'd been through that cycle, you know, four or five times, everyone was much more comfortable because, hey, they didn't have to change bandages every day and, B, they were comfortable that, you know, you had good animal husbandry practice in place, you know, so these horses' feet got better. How would you go about, obviously you were alluding to this as far as the application process. If someone has a listening, has a horse that thinks that they would be a perfect candidate for form of hoof, how do, what, what's the next steps of how to go about getting them? Yeah, look, uh, generally people get in contact with us and we can have a bit of a chat. If they have uh, some x-rays and stuff available, you can certainly have a look at them. And that, that gives you a very clear view on how well form of will help and how long it will take to get the results. So each one's different, you know, horses, you know, you have horses that rotate, horses that sink, there's always a back cause from it, you know, but generally people just can contact with us at, at Formorf on email and, and we start that conversation. And I have that conversation many times on a daily basis. And to be honest, I was really worried about getting into that process because laminitis is a very emotional situation uh, for everyone around you know it's their favorite horse it's lame but you know there's a lot of emotion around it so helping people through that and giving them some confidence and having some good case studies and then has been it's it's a tough first trip but on the second and third time you know people are really happy and really excited to see their horses get better and, and that's the best part of my job having a chat with people getting videos of these horses that are much sounder and they're riding them again and it's really incredible. It's the best part of it. Absolutely. So, yeah. Very cool. What would you say is an area of the industry that you are particularly passionate about that you feel like the rest of the equestrian community just doesn't know that much about or doesn't talk a lot about? Well, for me, as a professional farrier for 20 years, I I think there is certain areas of the industry that have really gone ahead in leaps and bounds. You know, there's a lot of human technologies that have made the, the crossover. You know, we've got x-rays, standing CTs, you know, amazing thermography, you know, stem cells, all these amazing therapies. But yet we're still in a situation where we basically, majority of the industry and the horses in it are shod with a very medieval technology. And part of that is because it's worked so far. Mm-hmm. Part of that is because people are used to seeing the the slow breakdown of the horse's feet in it and, you know, and the heels are getting lower and you're seeing walls chipping and black marks in the soles and and that's just something they've become used to. So there's a little bit of, you know, Emperor's New Clothes in that process, you know, Mm -hmm. 
let's not let's not bring it up unless we have to. And what are we going to do about it if we if we if we do something anyway? So, yeah, industry has, and because it's one of the oldest trades ever, farming, mm-hmm. um, and you need to be so skilled to do it properly. And that's that's the other thing: the skill level to be a good farrier is incredible because essentially you're taking you know six metal spikes, putting it between the fingernails to attach a metal object to its foot that's going to right. go at high speed. Uh, majority of new things that come on the market have been designed by an engineer or someone that came along and thought, I could do a better horseshoe. That's, you know, that's a shit idea. <laughs> what happens yeah. Yeah. is, a, oh, well, we'll make this amazing thing over here and then we'll bring it over here and then we'll just put it on the horse. Well, what they do forget is the part that getting it on the horse and having it stay there is the most crucial part hmm. because if you've got something that's precast and you've got to put it on the foot, there's always going to be an airspace in between the precast and thing. Sometimes that's filled with, you know, a layer of glue or whatever, but you don't get that perfect form, whereas the form of is a, you are using that material as a structure. So it can't, it's like a key in lock situation. You can't twist, it can't come off, you know, and those sort of things. So you just don't get that variance. And I think that's probably where the industry has more room to move because there's so many dollars tied up in these animals, especially in thoroughbred racing, and that the inherent, not to throw the industry under the bus, but the inherent issues that you have from a nail-on shoe, open-heeled shoe, mm-hmm. whereas the foot is able to sink through the bottom and it's not supported all the way across, is quite graphic. And it really is just an engineering oversight, not supporting the middle of the foot where all the damage is done. You know, I don't ever see horses going lame apart from being pricked in the hoof wall. You know what I'm saying? Like right. it's just not an area that they normally go. They all they go lame in the navicular area, the back of the foot, the bulbs, the sole, the frog, all these areas that are overextended as part of general work and having an open heel shoot. I was really lucky to do some work just recently at, um, with Dr. Chris Pollock using some of his original work where he was testing blood flow in the horse's foot using a, a hydraulic jack. So we could actually put a cadaver leg into a jack, and I'll share these videos with you, and seeing what was happening to these feet under load from a back view, from the from looking from the back of the foot forward wow. and seeing seeing the distortion in the capsule and, and the loading in different areas. And the barefoot was, was really interesting because it showed immediately that the entire hoof wall and the heel bulbs were all loaded at full gallop length at 2,000 kilos. Wow. When you put a shoe on and peripheral loaded, what happens is all that weight sits in the outside of the foot and then the middle of the foot, the frog and stuff, has to overflex another almost centimetre or the depth of the shoe to still reach the ground because it wants to be a weight. And so seeing the changes in that hoof structure at load, seeing how those heels are really forced to roll under themselves so that frog can touch the ground, just shows why we were seeing such distortion in these horses that do speed, do mileage, you know, that don't have a central support in their podiatry, you know. So one thing that was really clear to me was that you, the better you can share the weight across the entire capsule, the better that foot will be. And I think that's where we've been really lucky is because because we're forming the form off on the entire foot on site, mm-hmm. you don't get that rubbing or cha- or movement in between the substrate and the foot because it's going exactly, it moves with it. Whereas everything else you put on, the foot still moves, 
but it moves against whether it be the shoe or the plastic or the pad or whatever, whereas the form of goes on and moves with it. So that's probably the biggest area, I think. It's been one of the conversations we had was why we didn't done this before is because it's really hard to get footage of the back of a horse's foot at any level because the hind foot is coming through really fast. And if yeah. you try and put a camera in there, bang, you're going to have a massive wreck. And yeah. I tried with the treadmills and all sorts of things. And it wasn't until we could get to a hydraulic jack and really focus in on it and make it repeatable that we could really have a look at what was happening. Yeah, I'm really thankful that Dr. Paul let me come and do that. And obviously his, his knowledge is, is amazing as well. Wow, that's that's incredible. I feel like there are about five more episodes, at least, that we could have <laughs> talking about this more. I'm going to open this whole topic up for questions for everyone listening, because I would love to have you on to continue the discussion, because I feel like yeah, you are the definition of a wealth of knowledge. So I would love, <laughs> I, I really appreciate all of the time you took to try to explain um, to some of us that don't know much about our horse's feet, but obviously have the the knowing and the appreciation that it really is what keeps our horses sound and happy. And where can people find more information? Formalhoof.com. Yeah, we've got, we've got a fair few videos on there. We're launching a new site at the moment. Um, and our academy has been a big focus of ours. So, so we can get a lot of this knowledge across you know, so people can download it and understand it in their own time. They don't have to listen to an Australian draw. I think I think we'll have a lot of listeners who will really enjoy it. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Rob, thank you so much again. Thanks, Bethany. Appreciate your time. All right, that is all I have for you today. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please take a minute and write a review on iTunes. I would so appreciate it. It helps people like you find the podcast and it helps me get some killer guests. Thank you so much and I will talk to you next week.